Hello, and welcome to the Woodard Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. And it is proudly sponsored by Expensify. For more information about Expensify, please visit woodard.com slash podcast. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, Heather, we're back again, and we're going to be sharing yet another topic with our uh, accounting friends and bookkeeping friends out there. It's good to be back with you. Absolutely. Always, always great to hang out with you, Joe. Yes, yes, we have we have a good time. All right. Today, we're talking about service excellence and the 10 barriers between your practice and performing distinctive, powerful, high-impact services that are wealth-generating for your clients. Uh, now, you know, we were talking a little bit in the in, before the mics went hot here, Heather, that each one of these, we could unpack each one of these in a whole episode if we wanted to. So, and we may just do that for, for everybody right. listening in. Yeah. But... And, and Heather's an expert in about five of these things, and I'm an expert in about five, and so it's going to lay out really well if we decide to do that. But I say all of that because of the for for context, right? In this podcast episode, I'll be flying over the forest a little bit, um, giving you a view of the whole horizon of a holistically healthy practice that delivers with service excellence, and uh, and then this could intrigue you to go read some books. And I may make some recommendations as we go, and Heather might after I get done with my monologue, and then um, uh, you know, or go explore some other resources to drill down on each of these. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Watered has a membership program that can coach you through every single one of these things if you wish to do so. Okay, so let me jump right in with the first barrier to service excellence, and that is lack of purpose. You might think. Joe, one of these things is marketing and brand and company culture, purpose. What does purpose have to do with service excellence? And it's everything because purpose, and I chose that word very specifically because it's out of the Disney Institute. Purpose is, according to Disney Institute, the descriptor of everything you should be doing as a company. And it's distinctive from mission, which is how you accomplish and work toward your vision and vision is the why. So vision is why you exist as a company. Mission is how you service your vision. And purpose is what you do every day or what you should be doing every day. So Disney's purpose is we create happiness. And every one of their uh, their team members, every one of the people that service the Disney guests, their cast members, they're called in the Disney universe, Every one of them knows this purpose and they know then what they're supposed to be doing every single day when they show up to work, whether they're a custodian, they're flipping hamburgers or they're the little woman inside. And I say little, not derogatory sense. It's always a very small framed woman inside of Mickey Mouse. Sorry to ruin it. The kids are listening. Sorry, but it's over now. now. Just ruined Mickey Mouse. Um, So, uh, but the point is, uh, you know, the point is, regardless of which role you're playing, everybody, not just the Mickey Goofy characters um, and the people in the parade floats, but also everybody sweeping, everybody doing administrative work, they understand that directly or indirectly, they are creating happiness. 
And if they're not, they're off purpose. So when you create a purpose like that for your business, our purpose is we empower business advisors. So not only, so if we approached this this morning and Heather and I were like, well, we have to do another podcast recording today, right? With no purpose behind it, no passion to empower business advisors, then this just becomes a big marketing effort with metrics and it has no soul, right? But instead we showed up today with purpose, driving with passion, the fact that we get to empower you today. How we're doing it is we happen to be doing it right now with a podcast and just changes the paradigm of everything. You find that for your business service will take up an entirely new level um, not just in quality, but also in outcome. All right, now poor systems. Poor systems would include, um, yes, your technology, but also your process. So, and how your process is stored. So, a lot of people think, well, we're, we're standardized, but they don't think about the democratization of the standardization. So, process is twofold it's about standardization. And it's about democratization. You have to disseminate the knowledge through the proper systems. And those systems don't just include your practice management tools. They also include your CRM in order to manage pre-sale activities, pre-client activities, engagements, pre-engagements, and then also upsells and renewals, cross-sells, and all of that has to be done in a CRM, as well as customer support tickets. And then you have your process system for productions. And then you have your internal collaboration systems in order to maintain alignment with your team, if you have a team. Um, and then you have the whole the systems through which you deliver your actual product itself, which would be accounts payable automation, expense automation, document parsing, and, and client collaboration. If, if your system... Go ahead. Go ahead, Heather. No, I was going to say the thing that pops into my mind when you're talking about, you know, poor systems and what you said, it's more than the technology is I, I think of it as like, it's your secret sauce. It's it how is. you do things. Right. And so you can have the, you know, no offense, but the ragu, right. Or you could have a really killer, authentic, you know, gravy, as we call it up here in the Northeast. No, it's, um, it's a true term for it, by the way. I was going to correct right, you if right. you didn't get it right. Yeah. That's the distinction is a pizza sauce. Or, or spaghetti sauce versus spaghetti gravy. Yeah. But there's something in it. And as you said, it's the passion, it's the drive. So the thing that you said, you know, as far as the lack of purpose, that actually folds right into poor systems. Yes, because it does. Because if you don't have the drive to deliver excellence, then that's going to actually trickle through to all the other nine that you're going to be talking about today. That's why I started with purpose because it, you know, it fuels the other nine, right? So thank you for contributing into that. And I know that systems are your particular passion too. So maybe when we do an episode on systems, you can, you can take the lead on that because you should. Um, the third one is disempowered teams. Um, and you disempower your team. Yes, these are getting a little cumulative, right? When they're not purpose-driven and they don't have the proper systems. But beyond those two areas of disempowerment, you disempower your teams when you don't have the correct company culture. And company culture is enhanced by purposes, it's enhanced by systems, but it's broader and bigger than that. It includes the, the, the mission and the vision of the company, and it includes the values of the company. And we could do a whole podcast episode just on company values, by the way, for maybe a series on teams, but the company values are not a series of ethical statements. The company values are a reflection of how you operate consistently. They're behaviors. They're not mores. 
right, and, and that's a big misunderstanding because the word value is typically used outside the business world to talk about ethics um, at, at, at first and behavior second. Here it's behaviors first. Um, how does your company consistently behave? How should your company consistently behave? And have you defined that? And is it born out of the core of your company's identity, which is its vision, mission, and purpose? Defining that is liberating because it gives everybody this, this playing field through which they should aspire to operate, which they should operate. And then the other, the other aspect of that is, the, is having functional teams. So if you'll read two key books, um, one is one is called uh, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, and the other one is called Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is summarized inside The Advantage as well. So you might want to start with The Advantage. Both of those will take you leaps and bounds toward uh, a positive and empowering team culture. Now, the fourth one, reactivity. And this is a systemic, toxic problem, if not a cancer, within the accounting profession. Because when you are only responding, and I, and I could say responsiveness, but that would have seemed like a positive. When you're only reacting to or responding to the calendar for your tax and accounting or to the client's needs, like a first responder only responds when there's a fire. Um, if you're only responding whenever somebody calls fire, then you're not being proactive in your client relationships. We do have to meet tax deadlines, yes. And we have to meet payroll tax deadlines and sales tax deadlines. Of course we do. And we need to be timely in the way we close out bookkeeping cycles monthly or some of your clients could be quarterly. Absolutely we do. But if that is all we do, if that is only what we do, then we will never act with intentionality and we'll never be proactive with our clients, which means we're not going to interpret the financials. We're not going to we're not going to uh, find actionable management advice. We're not going to take on more of an operational accounting role or a management accounting role or what we call controller controllership services here at Woodard, where you're controlling spend, curating budgets, enforcing spend policies, and and saving the client money as a controller as an increase in wealth. And certainly you're never going to become a business coach, which is actually creating top of in top of line wealth for the client on the revenue side and the biz dev side. Um, so be proactive, not just responsive or reactionary. The fifth one is that we have, we, we don't have a differentiated product. And now, you might say, well, I can have a non-differentiated product and, and deliver with extreme service excellence. In terms of quality controls, that is true. But in our topic here on service excellence, we don't. We started by bypassing quality controls and we've talked about purpose. And, and we have to understand that everything here in the word excellence, we unpack it bigger than quality controls. It's not just how accurately or timely or well you, you process a tax return or you close out a monthly financial statement. Those are important, but those are foundational. It's the foundation on which you build the house of the client relationship. And what you do from that point on is how you differentiate yourself. Um, and, and that could even be done within the context of the services you're delivering. For example, if you do, if you become an expert in partnership returns, but don't ever still do anything but prepare tax returns, you're still differentiated. That's a step in the right direction because a lot of people cannot do that well. But if you're a tax preparer and you're listening here and you can also, without stepping into the legal realm, coach your clients with the assistance of their attorney 
through a healthy partnership arrangement, I'll call it, not an agreement, work with the attorney on the agreement. But if you can coach and inform into the way that that agreement is supposed to be structured with the attorney, now you've transcended partnership returns and you're coaching them on how to have a better partnership. And then if you could coach them on the daily grind of their partnership to help them mitigate frictions, to help them to understand roles and responsibilities, stay out of each other's way and orchestrate their movements, now you've become an operational coach for a partnership. And you've expanded the specialization, not more broadly, but more deeply. And that's just one of many examples where you could differentiate yourself. Um, I just use one uh, in my limited time I have here. Let's talk about the sixth one, and that's overload. We, we have capacity constraints as an industry. Some of that's created by the staffing crisis. Most of it's created by the accumulation of the other things. Our purpose doesn't cause us to say yes or no, no is the important word, to things that don't fit the purpose. They're out of the scope of what we're supposed to be performing. We've not identified our ideal services and our ideal clients. So we, we, we have this come all takers kind of mentality. We don't have systems that create efficiencies and scalability in our business, right? So we don't have empowered teams. So all of the things that I've talked about up to this point create the overload problem. Solve those seven or those, those excuse me, six or five or six, and you'll, you'll, uh, you'll solve for this one. The first five will solve for the sixth. But beyond just those things, we've got to, in our personal productivity, we had a whole podcast episode on this on overcoming task you know, overload or conquering task overload, go listen to it. There's a personal methodology to the way that you maximize your productions, you organize your life, you organize your thoughts, and you keep yourself focused and clear headed on the task at hand. Right now, I have 100, 150, maybe 200 things that could be done, but I'm focused on absolutely none of them, not even with a fraction of my subconscious right now. I'm only 100% focused on delivering this to you, this information to you, because, because, and I can accomplish this because I have a production system that contains all of the things that I need to do. And I visit it frequently and I trust it. And because of that, I can live in the moment and I can live outside of the overload mentally. Um, no measurements. It's fantastic that we have goals as a company, but if we don't create incremental measurements that will show us if we're achieving or working toward or making progress toward our goals, then, then not only are people not going to be as motivated in the daily grind, they may be motivated aspirationally by the purpose, but they're not going to, they're not going to focus in any given day or week or month or quarter on the right things because you do what you measure. And that is especially true when you're not the business owner, right? You do what you measure because measurement is directly uh, attributed to accountability and accountability drives intentionality. Intentionality then is going to further a plan that is coherent across the entire business. Now, the five dysfunctions of a team speaks to accountability as one of its five functional elements. So you can go to that book, but I would also recommend reading John Doerr's Measure what matters. Number eight, we've got three more to go, is wrong expectations. You can deliver with extreme quality of service. You can even be delivering proactively. But if what the client expects is different than what you delivered, 
even if what you delivered is what was promised, if what is in their mind is different from what you delivered, they will deem it as less than service excellence or even maybe poor service. And they might even fire you after you have delivered amazing results. So you must maintain constant alignment through over-communication of expectations between you and the client. That begins with setting the proper expectations and scope very specifically in the engagement letter, but it must be constantly reinforced throughout the engagement. And the best way to constantly reinforce expectation is through boundary protection. Every time the client wants to do the slightest thing that's out of scope, every time they want something from you that is contrary to the nature of how they've engaged you, you need to communicate that it's outside of scope and you need to document the change of scope. You need to adjust the price accordingly and then you need to proceed. Um, Now, if you've listened to Ron Baker a lot or you've uh, read Time's Up, you'll know that he says nature and capabilities are the only qualifiers. Set a price and then do everything within your ability as long as you do no harm. I don't disagree with Ron on that. I'm just going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to say, not, but I'm going to say, and I'm going to say, if that's the way you approach pricing, uh, because you've, you've bought into that model, which is foundational to subscription pricing, then the expectation is what is inside and outside of your capabilities, because they might assume that you're all knowing and all powerful and anything is possible because you help them with five home runs. You can do the sixth, even though it's a completely different realm of knowledge. So you have to clearly, you have to know what kind of professional you are and what the limits of your knowledge are. That's the expectation you set. Hourly billing is an inhibitor to service excellence. It isn't just the wrong way to price or the wrong way to charge. It's the wrong way to deliver. It's the wrong container through which you deliver your services. Just to put a fine point on it, when you bill by the hour, you've changed the product altogether you're selling time, which if you've studied Einstein at all, and I'm no theoretical physicist, but I get the concept of this, space and time are the same thing and they are relative, but they make up the entire forces of our universe in a way that we still don't fully understand. And you're going to sell that. You're going to package it up, bottle it up and sell it. Good luck with that. So really the whole thing's a myth anyway, that you can even sell time because I can't sell time any more than I can sell dark matter or galaxies. All right. So our light, all right. So our space. So I, 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 you know, I can't sell it. I, I can measure on it, but the measurement's arbitrary and imperfect because we don't understand the, the nature of time and the passage of time anyway. So get away from it. Not only is it is it crazy to think you can package and sell it, it's not the product your cl- your customer wants to buy anyway. And as soon as you start going down that pathway, selling them a product they didn't ask for in a way you can't possibly package it and you can't measure it except subjectively, um, you're not going to have service excellence. Instead, sell outcomes and then measure your people and hold your people accountable to deliver those outcomes and then measure capacity within your team constraints. Then the last one is fear. We do not deliver with our most excellent service. And you could say we are not our most excellent professional selves 
because we fear something. We fear failure. Sometimes it's just because of the way we're made up as accountants and tax preparers that we fear imperfection. And that's all the fear it takes is we're not going to go forward. We fear that we are going to overstep the bounds of our professional relationship because we too closely attach credentialing with the services we offer. So we have knowledge that we know will help the client, but we don't offer it because we think that we have to have an MBA or we think that we have to have a, a, a an accounting management designation of some kind um, in order to, to step into that arena. So we withhold the knowledge that would help our client. Um, all of those are elements of fear, imposter syndrome, fear of overstepping bounds, um, fear of imperfection, fear of failure. And we also don't develop the systems, the team culture, sometimes we don't even hire team members at all because we're afraid of what that scale might look like and we're afraid of the risk that's associated with it. So you must, must combat and overcome the fear. Heather, those are the 10. Those are the 10. And I mean, there's so much there. Um, I'm thinking back where I was kind of going back in my mind and thinking about, you know, when I was in practice as a sole practice owner, and I was hearing these concepts and trying to think about how do I deliver excellence? And a lot of us get to the point where we're in that overload kind of place, whitewater, right? That place in our profession where we're working too much and we end up getting we end up focusing only on the task because that's all that we actually have the capacity to do. And what I found, and I think it's true, you know, I, I, I know you're going to agree with me, but what I found as a practice owner, the only way to get out of that was to seek help from someone else to help me organize my thoughts, step out of that place where I felt like I was completely overloaded so that I could actually set intentionality, go back to my VMP, my vision, mission, purpose, and unpack it again, revisit it, refresh it, and come up with a plan. And And that's where coaching is the, I mean, that's really the thing that saved me. Um, and it really is something that's necessary. So these 10 barriers are hard. And I don't want to say, you know, this is the the magic bullet is just listen to this podcast. You now have the secret sauce. <laughs> no. You're going to go do it. You need You need somebody to help you. You yeah, absolutely yeah. do. This whole thing is a practice plan executed yeah. with help. And uh, right. but at least it is that fly over the forest that we we, we do need. Yeah. And, 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 and by and the way, I know that that would say you might have been driving as you were listening to these and you say, Well, I need to go back and listen and write them down. No, just go to water.com slash podcast and you can go to the notes for today's episode and they will all be detailed in there. Plus, Heather does a great job editorializing each of our podcast episodes. So if you go to the watered.com and you go to the watered report um, within watered.com. There'll be an article for this and every one of our episodes that'll break down these 10 disciplines of service excellence. So Absolutely. let's get into, let's get into the book segment. Yes. Um, and understand that you, uh, excuse me, the TV segment, uh, TV yes. segment comes next. And uh, you know, Heather and I watch a lot of movies and TV. This is our pastime. Our, our, we're kind of movie TV buffs. And we yeah. find these little nuggets of wisdom in TV and movies. So what's yours you're bringing this week? So mine is from a, a TV show called Glitch, which is actually an Australian TV show. And it's, it's, it's metaphysical. It's, it's, a, it's a show about um, this uh, doctor that creates this scientific method to bring people back from the dead. Very interesting. Very, lots of, lots of big 
kind of philosophical themes in this particular um, uh, show. And we're, my husband and I really enjoy it. So there's the doctor who actually d- discovered this method of, method of bringing people back from the dead. She's talking about her research with the pharmaceutical company, which was called Norgard, which if you look at the words, it's actually no regard which was really interesting. And I was, I, it took me a few episodes to go, oh my gosh, that's no regard. Um, and so what she says is, we're trying to conquer death, but we never stop to think if we should. And, you know, a similar theme actually was in Jurassic Park, right? When they created that park and they were like, you just because you can does not mean that you should. And, you know, one of the things that I think we failed to do is slow down. And when we're in, that space where we're in overload and we're on autopilot and the tasks are actually controlling our lives and making all the decisions in our lives. Um, we make we make these decisions where a great idea solves one problem, but then it creates all these other problems that we never even thought of because we don't go through that activation phase of after we ideate a great idea, we don't go through the activation phase of really understanding, Does is this going to make sense before we implement it? And so I felt like that was just such sound business advice. And it's the one thing that I think a lot of us, especially the ADHDers like me, um, we skip that step and it's so vital in running a business and in life. Yep. And, and so there's a strategy piece. Obviously, there's an ethics piece to this too mm-hmm. in your oh, personal totally disciplines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's also a purpose uh, and mission and vision piece to this. And so uh, you may have seen on LinkedIn, uh, Ledger Gurus just celebrated and, and, and I joined into the conversation that they have acquired Woodard Consulting Group's inventory implementation division, and, and along with its uh, resources and systems and clientele and partners. And we're so happy for this uh, to happen because first, I can't think of a better home than Ledger Gurus. But uh, they they do a great job, and they're going to be great uh, employers for our team members that that went over there, and they're going to take care of our former clients. But the point I'm making is, just because we can do inventory implementation, we determined that we should not do it because it was contrary to our vision, mission, and purpose. So it also speaks to entire. uh, It speaks to your skill sets too. You might be oh, really, absolutely. you might be really good at tax preparation, but you've determined through a practice plan that you want to only be client accounting services, or vice versa. So, you know, um, don't let your abilities dictate your service. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. All right, mine comes from the Matrix, um, which you know I'm a big fan of that entire trilogy and all the philosophy and so forth, but underneath it, if you've never seen it, it's fascinating. Even if you don't like the genre, uh, because it transcends its genre, it's really an exercise in, um, in philosophy. And actually the philosophy is, is called neo-gnosticism. Uh, therefore the main character is Neo. Uh, but, uh, in, in the book, uh, excuse me, in the, in the, in the trilogy, the first one, we're introduced to this, uh, this person called the Oracle. And, and the Oracle is talking with Neo because he's supposed to be the one, the one who fulfills the prophecy. And we all believe he's the one and people have already identified him as the one. So they've, they, the audience is all, you know, invested in the fact that Neo is the one. And then the Oracle, who is all knowing uh, in the storyline, she says he's not. And it's a, it was just a big corner turn for everybody, including Neo. They were all surprised. And then she says... 
she says, it is not because you can't or because you don't know how to be. And and then she went even further to imply it's not even because you're not supposed to be or that you're not the one that was prophesied, but you're not the one. And her reason was there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. So basically what she was saying is, Neo, until you actually exercise an act of will to act upon what you know, to act upon what you're destined to become, to act upon the purpose that's driven out of your who you are, the change you want to see in the world, and the higher principle you follow is the way we phrase it. That's not out of the matrix. Until you, until you act upon it, until you walk it, you're not it. Mm-hmm. Right? Knowledge does not equal identity. It's knowledge plus action plus several other factors that do so. It's, it's walking that path. Now, what's the takeaway for for you as a business owner? It's it's that if knowing if knowing the path is is education, which we are really really good at as an industry. A lot of people joke that we're professional learners who happen to perform accounting and tax services and audit services. Right? We're really good at learning things. Uh, but if if knowing the path uh, is the outcome of education. Walking the path is the outcome of execution. And as Heather alluded to earlier, the bridge between education and execution is coaching. It's both process and mentorship, which are, is our definition of coaching. Now to the book segment. I got ahead of our skis earlier and you're bringing that one to us. What have you read recently? Well, and this is like a perfect segue into what I read recently, which is The, uh, the Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And so Simon Sinek is is one of my heroes. I just adore him. And if you've read Start With Why, you know that um, he focuses on vision, mission, purpose, and making sure that you understand who you are and what your company and your practice is intending to do before you go out and start thinking about the services. And so with the infinite game, um, the points that he's trying to make here is that it all comes down to mindset. So a finite game, and he talks about a finite game, is a game that has rules and it has a very defined person who wins based on following those rules. And so an infinite game is uh, where there is no goal, right? There is no end goal. There's no winner. The infinite game is you have purpose and you're going to continue doing what you're doing to perpetuate what that vision, mission, and purpose is for your company. So it's taking out, like, I'm going to focus on profit because my short-term goal is to make $2 million. Well, that's a finite game because basically what you're doing is you're throwing out the vision, mission, purpose, and you're only focusing on that outcome of the $2 million. And that's where he says, we fall off the tracks. So Business owners, they need to focus on building something that is going to last beyond them. And Joe, I think I actually first heard this from you during one of your keynotes of making a goal that is bigger than you and something that you're, you're the BHAG, right? Something that you can't possibly accomplish in your lifetime. And then you're on the right track. And so I feel like, you know, with accounting professionals, we're in tax and we're in, you know, bookkeeping, but why are we in that? And we want to focus on that client experience and being customer focused and what we're actually, the value we're actually bringing to our clients. So I love what you said earlier about finding that, that you know, a, a, partner, a person that just does partnership returns brings a lot to the table because they have a lot of knowledge about the intricacies of partnership relationships. And 
that is bigger than themselves because they want to transform how partnerships exist and make them better. And can they possibly do that for all the partnerships in the world? No. So they're just going to continue to get better and better and better at what they do. And can that expand? Yes. But making sure that we have that, um, you know, the the infinite, uh, the open-mindedness, right? And the infinite possibilities of what we're trying to accomplish, accomplish in your business, but also in your life is just, that's the, I think that's the meaning of life is you've got to have those values and that purpose and that, that vision and that mission. So um, he said, there's five keys to playing the infinite game, advance a just cause, right? So that ties into, you know, the bigger than yourself, building trusting teams. You can't do it alone, right? You need to build and gather people around you that have the same values and vision and mission and the skills that kind of complement each other to push that forward, study your worthy rivals. So who are the rivals that are on the same vision, mission, path, and what are the good things that they're doing and learn from them? Uh, Prepare for existential flexibility, right? So you've got to be able to innovate and change and change with the things that are happening around you and your environment, and then demonstrate the courage to lead, which goes back to the fear, which was the last of your 10 um, inhibitors to, you know, to, to excellence. So the courage to lead, absolutely. It's scary. It's scary to be the person that raises their hand and says, I'm going to, I'm going to say that big thing and I'm going to stand by it. Um, but that really is, 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 is something that we should all strive to do. Um, and for some of us, it takes us a little longer than, than others, but great book, love Simon. Um, you know, he focuses on humanity the fact that we're humans, that we are in it together and doing what is right and focusing on the greater good. And that's one of the reasons I love him um, so much. So just a quick little antidote. So somebody that's lived this out, played the infinite game is Stephen Covey. And before he wrote the seven habits, um, he was advised by all of his coaching peers. He was a, he was an executive coach. They said, the moment you write this book, you're out of work. You're destitute because who would pay you money when they can just go read your book. But he was driven by something that was greater than the short-term gain. He was driven by an infinite game, an infinite purpose. And could you imagine if Covey had hoarded that knowledge and not written that book? We were right. lost a timeless classic. So, so that's just a, a great little way of looking sort of back at the end of a story that somebody is actually now living out the infinite game because he's he's gone, but the seven right. Door beyond him that's infinite, right? Um, it even inspired his son to to take the mantle and run. But even if Stephen M. Covey hadn't done it, the the it would have still immortalized the concepts. Um, you know, and, and and you mentioned, and I know where we got to wrap up, but you had mentioned, you know, imposter syndrome and and you know that fear of sharing. You don't know if what you're going to do or you're going to say how that is going to impact someone else's life and something that may seem small and insignificant to you, if you just say it, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's could be as simple as telling someone to have a nice day or that they're killing it at their job. That could be the little thing they need to hear to get them through that day and actually turn a corner in their own life. And you have no idea because you don't know their story. So it, it, it is important to speak up as scary as it is. And, you know, that, yeah, absolutely. 
All right, so Heather, it's time for our favorite social posts. I want to lead out with one from David Leary. I mean, he kind of makes it easy, right? He um, does make it easy, for sure. <laughs> he's kind of the go-to, right? If you want a favorite social post. Um, but uh, David Leary said, I think I'm over ChatGPT. I'm sick of retraining it every time I use it. It's worse than asking my teenagers to do anything. Okay, so I... I agree. I feel <laughs> and, it too. Yeah. And, and so what I'm finding is if if it's highly predictable outcome, it's like I've got a team member. They decided that working from home was not working for them. So we authorized a small shared space, right? And and my, my team here at Woodard, you know who I'm talking about, back office, right? Said, we need to put something together on paper here. And... Uh, do we have a standard kind of agreement for somebody that's we're doing this with? And of course we didn't. So where did I go? Right now that mm-hmm. I found was perfect because it, it was a simple question with a very defined scope. It probably had been asked that a thousand or 10,000 times before. And it produced an extremely capable agreement that given the nature of it, I didn't feel like I'd ran, run past my attorney, but you start getting off the beaten path with it and no, it's, it, it doesn't respond like a person. Right. So I'm, I'm feeling David on this one. Yeah, I'm feeling it too. And I'm also finding like, now we have the new feature in chat GPT that you can give it like a history, right? You can give it, I forget what it's called. Um, the, anyway, you can tell it stuff about yourself that it's supposed to remember. Like I can tell I'm Heather Satterley, I, what my interests are. I put in information around what are, and it's really good at remembering these things now. Um, but I just find that it regurgitates things in the same tone. And so it's just like, I don't, I get tired of the same words. Like it uses certain words over and over and over again. I'm like, okay. And so I've started putting in that. Don't ever use these words. Like don't ever use ever, like don't do it. And so that's helping a little bit, but I actually was on a call with Michelle Long and she and I are actually doing a webinar tomorrow for Woodard on chat GPT and AI and accounting. And she introduced me to a, a competitor of ChatGPT that's called Claude.ai, and it's really good. So I was been kind of playing with both to see which one I like better, and I don't have a definitive answer for you, Joe. I can't tell you that I like one definitively over the other because it's too soon, but I am impressed with Claude.ai. So yeah, well, and I think you've right. hit on something there too. And I don't, I don't mean to try. And, we could actually probably do a whole episode on this, but <laughs> but uh, just just the the comment is that the tools that use the architecture are going to be where we're going to end up living and yes. not so much in the architecture directly. And, um, and I think that was the point that David Leary is ultimately getting at is please hurry up tools that, that use this on the back end, translate, interpret, deal with all the variables. And basically they're the, to put it David's metaphor, the teenage uh, tamers, right? Yes. Um, so, okay. So what was your social post? Okay. So mine's kind of, I mean, I, bear with me because I have to explain it because it was actually a post and it was by Byron Patrick who said, I don't know who edited this video, but they deserve an award when organizations don't prioritize training. And so it was a video. So I'm going to describe the video and hopefully you're going to laugh and I'm not going to mess it up. So it is a video of a man and woman. And what they're doing is they're filling a small bottle of water, like, you know, a Dasani or whatever it is from a large container of water and they have a funnel. And so at first the 
the gentleman, he's, she's delegating. So the, the woman's in charge as it should be. Right. Just kidding. Joe. <laughs> but I was muted. The audience couldn't hear me laugh. Right. I don't didn't think I was offended. No, I was laughing. All right, go ahead. I'm just kidding. Teasing. So, um, has a funnel. And so he goes to pour the water in and he's pouring water from the large jug into the small bottle without anything. And so the first bullet is wastages, right? Number one is the reasons that companies, uh, you know, don't prioritize when they don't prioritize change, wastages. Then number two is inconsistent results. So in that case, what he does is he takes the funnel, and we all know that the sh- you know the skinny end goes into the the little bottle. Well, he does it backwards, and so he starts pouring it in, and it's an inconsistent results. So the next part of it is the woman comes over and she's like you know huffing and puffing and giving him you know a hard time and grabs the funnel out of his hand like you don't know what you're doing and she's yelling at him and so what she does is she puts the short end into the large container right and starts pouring it and so that's toxic work environment and wrong use of technology which are reasons (laughs) so many things for this one like visual image yeah exactly so then they have dependence on supervision so she sees what he's doing rolls her eyes and grabs it out of his hands and then poor leadership is when she takes that funnel, does it completely wrong again, and then says, look, I did it right. So neither one of them ended up doing it right. But the point was, you know, that, you know, when when you don't prioritize training, things don't get done correctly. There's a lot of inefficiency and a lot of errors. So it was hilarious, though. It made my day. Okay. Well, it's fantastic. And then there'll be links to both of these social posts out at water.com slash podcast if you want to go watch that video for yourself or maybe, you know, interact with David Leary uh, around his chat GPT comment because he loves to have conversations. Um, But we're going to wrap it up for today. And we always wrap it up in the same way. This is the Woodard Report podcast. You're the senior editor of the Woodard Report. What was your favorite article in the last few days? So my favorite article and is is actually by Banas Shah, who is um, the CEO of FinSmart. And he wrote, now is the time to start for next busy season. And what I love about it was that it's so timely and so true. Now is the time to start uh, for next busy season. Uh, We have a very short window. Yes, we still have a couple of tax filing deadlines to get through. But if you're not thinking about how it's going to be better next spring, it's already too late, in my opinion. You need to get on that now. So um, great tips in that article. Definitely check it out. Okay. Well, folks, that does wrap up another episode of the Water Report podcast. It is always great to talk with you, Heather, and I look forward to being with you again very soon. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.